Hello and welcome to Weave Spawn, where we talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing another episode with you. And on today's episode, we are continuing the Naruto story arc, specifically the tuning exam arc. And as always, spoilers ahead. So, before we get started in this podcast, I wanted to let everyone know that I was actually a guest on another podcast, A Man on a Mattress Who Watches Movies. The host is Derek Vandegrift, who happens to be my older brother. He is a lover of all things film and filmmaking, and he had me on to talk about the movie Ready Player One, which was a very fun episode to record. I had a blast doing it, and I want you guys to all go and check out his podcast. It's very enjoyable, very informative, and he has a lot of great episodes. The episode that I am a guest on is po- has been posted on Sunday, so yesterday, if you're listening to this the day we release it, but Sunday, September 20th. So please give it a listen and let them know that Weep Spawn sent you. So for this episode, as you said, we're uh, covering the tuning exam arc, which is episode 20 to 67 it's a 47 episode arc so there's definitely going to be a lot of things that we miss when covering this or we're just going to skip over because it doesn't really pertain to future events most likely so in this arc we learn a little bit about other ninja teams of the leaf village and some surrounding villages and some of the main people are rock lee neji hyuga gara tamari and many others Uh, we see how each ninja compares to another and what they are willing to do to pass the tuning exams. While the first arc was really important for laying the groundwork and the heavy foreshadowing and reoccurring themes of the show, this arc is very important when it comes to setting up the rest of the characters for the entire show, including Shippuden, and making them known and setting up conflict for future episodes. And as you mentioned before, this is a heavy arc to- So heavy cover and though we kind of debated on whether or not to make this two episodes but instead we're just going to condense a lot of stuff into this one episode because yes we could go and describe all the fights and if you guys want us to come back to it maybe in a later episode and discuss each fight like for this or if you guys want us to give us a list of fights you want us to talk about we'll be more than willing to do that However, for this, as you kind of said, we're going to try to stick to the main plot points and the main character introductions, let's say, and other stuff that kind of pertains to more of the future endeavors into the Naruto universe. Yeah, and it might be possible that we might go over slightly on this episode. Um, So we'll just kind of see how this plays out. But hopefully not. We'll see how it goes. Either way, we hope you enjoy it. And going off of that, since this arc has a lot of character introductions, we'll probably be talking more about our impressions of the characters and what we thought of them at this point in time. As I mentioned earlier in our previous podcast of Naruto Arc 1, we are only going to try to talk about their abilities, their characters, 
at this stage in the anime. We know a lot of people change. That's why there's character development. So for our sake of the argument, whatever we say in our opinions right now is based on everything that is shown. If you know this anime and you've seen past this or you've seen all of it, you know something's changed. But we want to stay true to just this arc and what we have. Yes. And going off of that, one of the first people we are introduced to is the team from the the village hidden in the sand. I couldn't remember how they <laughs> called that. The village hidden in the sand. And of that team, we are introduced to Gara, Kankaro, and Tamari in the very first episode where you see Gara getting ready to actually murder a child. We don't really see most much about this group, but we're able to take out the encounter. Gara is a little hot heaven and driven to fight. Conqueror and Tamari are more the level-headed caretakers of Gara, telling them when he should stand down. But they will we'll get into more interesting battles with them a little bit later on. So... After Garth, Conqueror, and Tamari, we run into Rock Lee, who is one of the first characters we are introduced to. He challenges Sasuke to a duel, claiming that he is the strongest Genin in Konoha, which is the Leaf Village, if you do not know. This intrigues Sasuke, because Sasuke wants to improve his skills to kill a certain someone, as we mentioned in the first Naruto ep episode we had. He views, he views himself very highly, and he wants to get better so he knows for sure he can kill this someone. So defeating Lee would help him prove that. Immediately after the fight begins, because he accepts the duel, naturally. Immediately after the fight begins, Lee lands a hit on Sasuke. And this shocks him, because Lee is immensely fast. So Sasuke activates his Sharingan, which we will see a lot of. He loves the Sharingan, which I would too if I had one, because Sharingan's pretty sweet. And... Even with the ability to predict all of Lee's attacks, he's just way too fast for Sasuke. So he, he lands another hit. And he's attempting to just end this battle right here now with a move that he calls Shadow of the Dancing Leaf, where he launches Sasuke in the air and he's starting to wrap him up with these bands or like uh, cloth that he has. And he's about to just like destroy Sasuke right here. But before he can use this move, Lee's sensei, Mike Guy, jumps in and stops the battle, and there's no official winner. But this battle was enough to show us, and Sasuke, that he needs to improve himself if he wants to kill his target, because that's all he's driven towards. Also, this battle, Lee admits to himself after, or admits to everyone afterwards, that he's not actually the strongest Genning, but rather Neji Hyuga is. Uh, so, but this hypes up Neji, for one, because now we've just seen Lee just wipe the floor with Sasuke and he's not even the strongest one his teammate is so this is hype up for both these characters which I think is very important although my opinion of both these characters don't change throughout the whole show I mean kind of for Lee kind of changes but I don't really like Neji for one unpopular opinion everyone loves Neji I'm just not a fan but that's just me I think you might have offended quite a bit of people, but yeah, that's... I think I offended a lot of people. That's a that's a club I don't want to fight with, but I will if I have to. <laughs> All right, well, going on, 
Continuing on, one of the first part of the tuning in exam is actually a written test, and each team score will be added up at the end of the exam to see who passes. The rules are no questions are allowed. If your team is caught cheating five times, your entire team fails. But the test proves to be impossible. So the students determine the real trick is to cheat without being caught. And some of the cheating techniques we are seeing is the including she knows bug manipulation and he uses that to I think he used like a fly or something to look around at other people's tests and copy down the answers. Eno has her mind transfer jutsu so she can transfer to pretty much anyone she wants to take a look at the test and that's how she cheats. Kankuro's puppet mastery which is hinted at that the test examiner has actually either slightly called on to him or knows something's going on. And then you have Neji's Byakugan, which can... Which actually, doesn't that make him see, like, all his surroundings? Like, not just yeah, in front of him? he can see everything. Yeah. So, he can see all 360 in every direction and see through people, see chakra. He can... It's basically the all-seeing eye. And this portion actually kind of proves a lot of people's new jutsus because even sasuke uses his like sharing gun to copy a person who's already writing down answers so he's copying the movement so he can get the answers himself you see 1010 use her like string or thread i don't know if it's really a jutsu or just because she's like a master of weapons she uses that to tilt the mirror so rock lee can actually use it and see like the reflection because the mirror is like perfectly on to see mm-hmm. chess. So it's kind of nice to see everyone's abilities used for non-combatant purposes. And then you have Naruto who's just freaking out <laughs> and doesn't has there. no idea what to do because <laughs> one thing that also you can fail the ta- test is if one member of your squad gets a zero on the test, your team will also fail. So if out of the, yeah. the three people, you have to at least get one answer correct. But Naruto has no idea what's going on, and <laughs> he does it. He ends up passing the test, this whole thing, without answering a single question. Yeah. So that was really funny because the final test, the final question to the test, was basically like, if you can't answer this question, you fail, and you can never become a tuning ever. And Naruto's like, you know what? Fuck it. All or nothing. Let's do this. And he gets hyped up, and then the guy's just like, all right, everyone who stayed passed. And Naruto's like, didn't answer a single question, but all right. But, um, yeah, I really liked this test because it was able to introduce you to numerous Genning's abilities in a short amount of time without requiring any battle to do so. Because we know how Naruto goes. Their battles go on for at least an episode, maybe like seven. Who knows? So it was a really cool way to give you everybody's jutsus and everybody's power in one quick episode. I thought it was a really creative way to give us information quickly and effectively. Plus, this shows the non-combat related uses of these techniques and it gives us some time to think about how could these be used in future battles because some of these abilities we've never seen before. Like, I'm pretty sure we haven't seen the Byakugan before this. Uh, I mean, mainly because a lot of these characters we don't know. But it definitely gives you time to think about these so 
Moving on from that one, they immediately go into the second portion of the exam, which is the Forest of Death. <laughs> Lovely name, right? So before entering, each team will receive either a Heaven Scroll or Earth Scroll, and the goal is to reach the tower in the center of the forest, but you must possess both a Heaven and an Earth Scroll. This means that 50% of teams will fail in this round, or more. More than 50% could fail if someone's a douchebag and just takes all the scrolls. <laughs> Um, in this section of the exam, there are a lot of smaller fights, but there's really only like one or two that are very important, and we'll kind of mention those briefly. As we mentioned, we can't go over everything in this short little time span, <laughs> so there are a few skirmishes here and there, but one of the few big ones is when Team 7, is, aka our main one with Naruto, Sakura and Sasuke is traversing through the forest and they are being attacked by a crash ninja named Shirori? Shiore. Shiore. Shiore is able to kind of get the jump on them and ends up beating Naruto and is about to attack Sasuke. But once again, Naruto kind of unconsciously taps into the Ninetales chakra as he did earlier, previously I should say, with his battle with Haku. One of Shiori's giant snakes is about to attack Sasuke, but the Ninetales Naruto is able to block the snake and defend Sasuke. Yeah, so just re-watching this episode was really cool, knowing the things I know now and like looking back at just the past um, with more clarity. Naruto blocking the snake's attack on Sasuke was a nice nod back to the battle with Haku when Sasuke jumped in front of Haku's needles to protect Naruto from being killed. And uh, Naruto even repeats a mocking phrase to Sasuke that he, Sasuke said to Naruto in the previous arc. And I, I think the words are something like, you're not scared, are you, chicken? I'm like, you're not scared, are you, chicken? Um, just kind of like egging him on because he's being a little baby. not Because Sasuke's just standing there. But... Um, yeah, so this was a really cool little nod back to that arc. And I don't know if you want to continue with this. Yeah. And then while Naruto is blocking the snake, and he's obviously enveloped in this, like, orangish red chakra that is going on him, and he starts to have this fox-like appearance from the Ninetales chakra kind of taking over, Shirori recognizes... I mean, how could you not when Chakra's literally <laughs> leaking out of you? That he's a... Do they actually call him a Jinchuriki yet, or no? I don't think so. I don't really know when the word Jinchuriki is used. Okay. But if you guys want to know, Jinchuriki is basically the nine... Or the, the tailed beast's vessel. And so going off of that, Shiori knows he's the nine tails vessel... And he's able to actually put a seal on Naruto to prevent the chakra from being used. And then this causes him to become unconscious. Now you would think that why would an enemy purposely seal the Nine Chill? Because it kind of takes over Naruto and can possibly cause his death. But in the meantime, it also seals that power away. So once he's like knocked out or he can't use all that abundance of chakra that he has... So as he's being sealed, it kind of makes him go unconscious because it's like all this power is gushing out and then forced back in. So it's kind of like a shock to the body. 
And then during this fight, we see Anko, a ninja that is monitoring the exam, finds a group of grass ninjas dead. And one of the ninjas happens to be Shirore, the same ninja that is currently fighting Team 7. So you're kind of like, wait, if these people have been dead and they know they've been dead before the like exam even started, who's actually fighting Team 7 then? So we go back to them, and after a fight, short little fight with Sasuke, who takes up the mantle after Naruto's been knocked unconscious, part of the face that the imposter was wearing tears off, and we learn that it is none other than Orochimaru. After revealing himself, Orochimaru actually bites Sasuke's neck, thus giving him his curse mark. And pretty much right after that, Orochimaru's like, Good luck, and then just disappears, and then Sasuke ends up <laughs> passing out. He's like, "That's a parting gift from me. I'ma leave. I I'ma head out." Yeah. So, yeah, Sasuke's knocked out. Naruto's knocked out. Like, what's going on? So, shortly after this battle, probably a few episodes. I can't fully remember. Some some shit goes on with other teams. Not important. Blah blah blah. Uh, shortly after this battle, Team 7's engaged in another one with uh, the Hidden Sound Ninjas. And just to skim over this one quickly, one of the ninjas is defeated while Sasuke was unconscious. After he wakes up during this battle, there are the other two ninja left. And the curse mark that he received from Orochimaru activates, giving Sasuke this immense strength. Uh, possibly rivaling the strength that we've seen naruto get recently from the nine tails possibly it's just it rivals it he uses this strength to break or dislocate the sound ninja's arms uh this ninja was named zaku so he used the strength he overcame this guy beat him in battle and then as the dude is laying there on the ground on his stomach he takes his arms and basically windmills them i believe and just completely destroys this dude yeah it's kind of a and brutal scene yeah, and I wanted to mention this battle just because of the important insight that we get to the curse mark and what it's capable of and how it enhances the user's powers. So, and, and this scene also convinced me that Naruto is so much more dark compared to Shippuden. Like, Shippuden does have a fair amount of death and destruction. Like, I'm not going to spoil anything, but, like, the whole last arc of the show is just people dying. But it doesn't really show it in this clarity. I'd, I'd like to think, at least. The guy is just laying there, obviously defeated, and he's just like, you know, I'm just going to shatter this dude's arms. Uh, and then this next scene, or next episode, also convinced me of that. And I don't know if you want to talk about this next scene with Gara. So I was going to say the difference, I feel, with Shippuden is that in Shippuden, they are technically at war, which we find out literally right after this arc. But at mm -hmm. war, yes, people die. So you're kind of more accustomed to it. So you're not like, oh, they died. Or, oh, this happened. So you're like, it kind of explains it. Where here in Naruto, he just kind of did that because he wanted to. Because he was possessed by this. He's like, True. he had no reason to do that. When Shippuden, it's a war. So yeah, you're going to have some sacrifices. So it doesn't seem as dark. Fair enough. Yeah, we're kind of already accustomed to it, like you said. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And like you kind of said, right after this, or maybe a few episodes later, 
it shows us Team 8, who is comprised of Hinata, Hiba, and Shino. They are in the bush watching the Sand Ninjas fight, who are Gara, Conqueror, and Tamari that we previously seen. And this is kind of a short interaction because we find out Gara possesses this like unique ability to control sand. And they're, they're facing off against these rain ninjas. They were, it's basically, it was going to be, you know, just a three-on-three -three fight. Mm, not really. <laughs> Gara just envelops them entirely in sand and makes it so they're unable to move. And, of course... The rain ninja quickly drop the skull and say, I give, I give, we surrender. Gara's like, yeah, no, and uses sand coffin, which crushes them completely in this sand, like suffocating and breaking all their bones. Like, it's kind of brutal because you do kind of hear like the cracking and then you see like the blood gushing out. It's like, oh, okay. It's not only yeah. Sasuke that's... uh. Not afraid to go the extra mile. Like, like it's one thing to be buried with sand, because that's terrifying. To just have your whole body buried. And he could have stopped there, like, yeah, we got their scrolls. We're not going to kill these kids. They have a whole life ahead of them. Nah, he's an overachiever. He's like, you know, I'm here to win the grand prize. Let's do something about this. And he just crushes them. Like, dude. <laughs> and then Conqueror goes, well, luckily they had a heaven scroll, because they had an earth scroll. And they're like, all right, we can go and complete the thing. Because they actually notice Team's 8 uh, presence. And Garo was about ready to go and kill them. But Kangaroo's like, hey, we got the scrolls. Let's just go. And so Garo kind of leaves it at that. And then you kind of see Team 8 go like, <sighs> we, like they felt yeah, the presence like, oh, like they were about to die. So after we see this little incident with like gara we find out that they end up completing like one of the fastest times in like record history not only that they don't have like a single scratch on them and so we get cut back to team seven who we last saw was pretty much all incapacitated besides sakura well now they're kind of back up on their feet and a little worn out but the problem is they only have i think like a day left or something left of the exam that they must get to the center, and they still only have one scroll. As they're kind of going through, trying to get to the thing, they end up meeting up with someone named Kabuto. And Kabuto decides it's in their best interest that they team up, because when they're heading towards the center, where they all had to gather once they had the two scrolls, Kabuto kind of gives them the thing like, well, we need to be aware of three things. You have one who he calls the Collectors, Teams that kind of just go and collect numerous scrolls just so other people can. You have people like them who are allied with another group that are trying to help each other get the whatever scroll they need. And then you have three, the people who just kind of want to fight and knock out as many teams as they want. So you have three different types of people kind of just waiting in ambush that they want to go and steal the scroll as they're heading towards the end. So with them, they kind of have a little bit of a team-up, and with their team-up, they manage to knock out a team and get their, I don't know if it's Heaven or Earth Squirrel, whatever one they got, they need the other one, and thus they were able to complete the second round. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. 
So, after they completed the second round, I believe it was said something along the lines of, like, oh, man, we didn't expect so many people to pass this time, or this round, so now we need a third round to have a sudden death type thing. Winners move on to the final, the rest are losers. So, immediately after the Forest of Death, we move into a bunch of fight scenes. And this is one of the main reasons why this arc is so long. There are just so many fights. So... Uh, in the first few episodes, we have uh, Kakashi helps tame the curse mark on Sasuke. Well, first off, Sasuke goes through a battle, and he barely wins, I believe, because the curse mark is starting to take over, and he can't use any of his genjutsu or ninjutsu because the curse mark is having such a strong influence on him, so he has to win with taijutsu. And he actually used one of Lee's moves that... Um, one move that I mentioned earlier, I can't remember, uh, the Shadow of the Dancing Leaf, he used that against him and won, but he's completely drained. So Kakashi has to put to tame this curse mark. So he goes in the back and does that. While that's happening, Shino fights Zaku, and in this battle we really see the destructive power of Shino's insects as they cause... as during this fight, Shino is infecting Zaku's body with these insects, and he doesn't really realize it. And he is so infested with these um, bugs that Zaku's own attacks, because he uses sound, actually backfires and nearly destroys his arms. Which, when I was looking some info up about this, the manga actually had one of his arms completely blown off of his body, which is pretty cool. Didn't happen in the anime, but, like, that's lit. <laughs> So it just shows how cool Shino's bugs can be. Kankuro fights Misumi, and this shows Kankuro's puppet abilities, which we don't really see enough of throughout the show, I think, personally. He's an underrated character, but he doesn't really get enough screen time to prove himself. He does have a few moments, but I think there should be more of him, personally. And then Sakura and Ino fight after this. This battle really emphasizes the rivalry between those two. It shows that despite their differences between them and their abilities, they are extremely similar in both goals and in physical ability. Because as they're fighting, they're just going at it. Ino does mind control or her mind transfer jutsu on Sakura. Sakura breaks free with Naruto cheering her on. And eventually this battle just ends in a draw, which definitely emphasizes the fact that they are the same person despite their differences. Uh, and then Tenten and Tamari fight. This one, they kind of are similar because they both use weapons. Tamari has a giant fan. Tenten is a weapon specialist. Tamari basically tells Tenten, like, on her fan, there are four, or sorry, three moons on the fan. And as she's fighting, she'll open them up. And as soon as she opens up to the third moon, the battle's over. Tenten lost, which happens exactly as that. It shows really the badass um, strength of Tamari and how she just, like, totally fucks people up. And then after Tenten and Tamari's fight, we have Shikamaru vs. Ken. And this fight, I feel, was a lot more psychological than physical, as it shows what Shikamaru's true strength lies in, strategy and outsmarting his opponent. Ken was one of the sound ninjas that actually attacked Team 7 during the Force of Death, the second like portion. And before, like... Sasuke awakened with his ability. 
luckily, uh, Shikamaru, Ino, and Choji were there to kind of help protect Sakura, who was the last one before that whole incident happened. And doing this, Keen was able to see Shikamaru's ability, which is the Shadow Possession Jutsu. So knowing this, she was able to like keep her distance away from him. But even so, even though he was at a disadvantage, he came up with a plan and was able to still possess Keen and able to defeat her using his Shadow Possession Jutsu. Again, this, I feel like during this whole thing, was a lot more psychological than it was physical, which kind of shows you what kind of character Shikamaru is. Next. Which is one of the reasons he's my favorite character. Oh, yeah. He's my one of my all-time favorites, right up to uh, next to Kakashi. Then we kind of have not necessarily the biggest fight, but we have Naruto's fight, which is against Kiba. And this battle, I feel like it shows how Naruto, though generally he's thought of as dumb, he can create some smart solutions when push comes to shove. He ends up outsmarting Kiba in this 2v1 battle when he transforms into Akamaru, which if you didn't know, Kiba's clan is some like wolf-based clan, and he has his partner Akamaru, and... When they fight, Akamaru kind of uses transformation jutsu to look like Kiba, and they're able to fight as one. And using this, when he gets close to try to like change him, he transforms into Kiba. But Kiba's like, ha, nice try, but I can tell this scent. And when he knocks out Naruto, he transforms into Akamaru, and then Kiba loses track of his emotions and punches the other Kiba and ends up knocking out the real Akamaru. So it kind of shows that even though he's generally dumb, he can create on-the-spot solutions. And then he decides his to use his new technique. I don't know if you can hear my quotation marks in that. But to win the fight, which he kind of learned from Sasuke, he basically uses his, Naruto, his shadow clones to reenact the move Sasuke used to defeat his opponent. And then... Afterwards, we have Hinata vs. Nenshi, who, if you don't know, are both from the Hyuga clan, so they're brother and sister. And Neji has always been the superior one. Hinata has been this timid and shy person, so Neji's like, you should just forfeit. Like, they're out there this whole thing, but Hinata's like, no, I'm going to do it. I feel this shows really the more destructive and ability power of the Byakugan. But it also shows kind of the different ideals between Hinata, who fights with emotions, and Neji, who's more cold and calculated, where he's more just focused on results, and Hinata is driven by emotions. I also just want to put a little tidbit in there because how I mentioned that I dislike Neji. I just got to, you know, throw a little salt in the wound to piss off those Neji lovers. Neji also has this, like, little complex in his own little mind. Like, I get it. He was treated like shit because he's the, um, a branch family. But, like, he's such a douchebag because he's a branch and has to fight his destiny that he beats up little Hinata because she's main branch. Like, she didn't choose to be this. Like, neither, like you didn't choose to be this either. So you should understand, like, she didn't ask to be this held on a pedestal because they have this whole inner clan working where Hinata is considered better than Neji even though Neji's clearly superior in fighting power and just control of the Byakugan. So he obliterates Hinata because he's just mad that he's 
born in a certain life. But Hinata's a victim as well in this. So he's just being a baby. Had to throw that out there. Sorry, Niji lovers. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see what people think of that. <laughs> right after the kind of intense battle with the Byakugan, we had the Choji versus Dosu. And this one is kind of short-lived because it was like we find out Choji's expansion jutsu and then Dosu just kind of like kind of just overpowers him through brute force. There's really it was just brute force versus brute force and Dosu end up winning. Not really much happened. Then one of the probably main fights happens. Lee versus Gara. And this is probably one of the most hyped up battles of Naruto. And it's actually funny because Crunchyroll tweeted four days ago on September 17th that this fight happened exactly 17 years ago. And one thing we also learned about this is Rock Lee is unable to use any ninjutsu or genjutsu. He only has taijutsu. And he's able to go to ridiculous speeds because he's losing against Gara. But then he takes off these ankle weights he's having, and he pretty much goes invisible. And this kind of shows that he, Gara's impregnable defense that everyone was always making fun of is not actually impregnable. Rock Lee is able to actually damage Gara, But unfortunately, Lee does lose in the end, and Gara's mostly because Garo is able to grab a hold of his arms and legs and completely crushes him, making him unable to move and, like, use his body. Yeah, so this fight was so sweet. Just because that moment he's standing on the statue holding his ankle weights and drops him, and everyone's like, oh, what's some ankle weights? And then there's, like, this huge explosion, earthquake-type thing. It's just like, holy shit, what's about to happen? And then Gara just vanishes because he's or gar lee vanishes because he's just so fast and it's so hype even though i didn't really care for lee because he's just kind of annoying i cannot i have to give him credit where it's due he is a strong character he also opens some inner gates in this battle i believe uh which also gives him immense strength but obviously once gar got a hold of him with the sand it was over because if you only have taijutsu once your legs and arms are gone, you're you're out. So, after that fight ends, we learn Orochimaru is not done with Sasuke yet. The ninja, Kabuto, was ordered by him to kidnap Sasuke and bring him to Orochimaru. But, Kakashi once again saves the day, and Sasuke is not kidnapped. So, we right there we learn, like, there is a plan with Sasuke, and this is sort of foreshadow. Orochimaru wants something from Sasuke, which we will learn probably in the next arc. Stay tuned. <laughs> After this knockout round, the Genin have a month to prepare for the finals of the Chunin. And the month gives them time to rest, to recover, and train. Kakashi chooses to teach Sasuke, even though Naruto's like, yo... Come on, train me, Kakashi. She's like, nah, I got my boy over here, Sasuke. We're uh, Sharingan brothers, so let's do it. Um, and he told Naruto to train with Ebisu, who is... Nobody likes Ebisu, let's be real. Naruto doesn't want this. But eventually, through training with Ebisu, they run into this gray-haired pervert at the uh, hot springs. He, This pervert 
calls himself the Toad Sage, and his name is Jiraiya. Jiraiya chooses to train Naruto after, I believe, seeing Naruto has a seal on his stomach. Realizing what the seal is, it's a Ninetales seal, Jiraiya removes it from him. He's just like, yo, this is preventing you from using your chakra efficiently. Let's, you know, hit, let, let's get rid of that for you. So, I find this interesting because Naruto has been a terrible student that has it harder than anyone else to achieve the simplest of tasks. And after the removal of the seal, he's able to do chakra control really well. Like, he's able to easily walk on water with his chakra. And it makes me wonder what Naruto would have been through. Like, how far he would have gone if the seal wasn't placed on him to begin with. Would he have been at the top of his class with ninjutsu at least? Just not intelligence, though. He still would have been at the bottom. Would he have been at the top if the seal hasn't been impeding him this entire time? Or is it just coincidental that he's now gaining chakra control really well because the seal is released? I don't know, but I find that interesting. And then we eventually learned that this Jiraiya is actually one of the legendary Sanhin, which is a group of three individuals that possesses immense power and skill. And he's one of the only people that would be able to defeat Orochimaru, who we also find out is one of the three Sanhin. And during this training with Jiraiya, Naruto, he starts to learn summoning Jutsu, which will allow him to summon a ninja toad to fight and battle along with them. Each person would need trying. so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound stupid, but it's actually really powerful, which yeah. we learn it's later just like, on. Like, oh, I'm going to summon a toad to fight with me. It just sounds dumb, but whew, pretty sweet. We find out also with summoning jutsu, it's different with everybody. So every mm-hmm. person who uses summoning jutsu will get a different, like, person, contract, contract yeah, creature whatever you want to call it but as always naruto is terrible at this and can only summon a tiny tadpole but dry makes him train over and over again until he has no more chakra and he can't like train anymore he's used up he has his reserves are empty so before the training finally concludes jiraiya decides to toss naruto down this like gorge and is basically like he tells naruto well you better summon something or you're gonna die and it's like okay cool like this is the whole baby bird literally tosses out their kids out of the nest and hope they fly if not they're gonna die so at this point we finally peer into the the mine and see this monstrosity that is the nine-tailed fox that is sealed within him which is actually kind of a cool scene because shows like the emptiness and loneliness inside of him but you also see this giant gate and a creature that is locked behind it with this like seal and in order for him to like get the chakra i don't know if it's this exact scene but he asks the nine tails to either give him some of this chakra or he breaks the seal a little bit to let some of the chakra leak out and by doing this, he's able to get some chakra, and he's able to finally use the summoning jutsu. And he ends up not only summoning a toad, he summons Gamabunta? Is that, yeah. Is that how you say Gamabunta, the 
big ass motherfucking toad. Which is like <laughs> one of the most powerful, if not the powerful, like toad you can summon. Yeah, and yeah, basically the Nine Tails gave gave him chakra because the Nine Tails like, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna loan you this, just loan it right now because if I don't, we're gonna die, and I don't want that. But this scene, I think was used to show how little power or skill naruto actually possesses at this point in the show because we see him summoning these tiny little tadpoles and the moment the fox grants him some of his like a fraction of his strength he's able to summon this gigantic toad beast that saved them from the fall with ease and this was just like a fraction of the nine tails power uh his differences power is pretty good benchmark to show us where naruto is now and it'll be a good benchmark for the future to see where he has come. So I think that was a really cool little thing going on there. So, as you said, the Toad Gamabunta, this big-ass motherfucking Toad. The giant Toad Gamabunta, like, he puts up with Naruto. He's like, yo, why are you summoning me? Where's Jiraiya? But he's like, alright, if you're going to summon me, let's put you through a test to see if you're even able to... Like, even if I'll allow you to summon me again, I'll accept you as an underling if you can stay on my back. So, he goes on this rampage, this giant toad, thrashing about, trying to get Naruto off. But Naruto manages to succeed and stay on. So, he rewards him as an underling. And Gamabunta claims that no one stayed on his back that long since the fourth Hokage. And I think this comparison is pretty significant could maybe have some sort of foreshadowing in there or symbolism somewhere. Possibly due to the fourth Hokage being the one who sealed away Naruto's fate with the Ninetales. Or maybe somehow, or maybe showing how far Naruto will grow in the future. Because Naruto's number one goal right now is to become the Okage. So is this a foreshadow to him achieving his goals? Who knows? <laughs> we will find out. <laughs> later i guess because yeah. like i said it's so early on but right after this like nice little training arc we pan over to like the hospital and we're like oh we get to see how lee's doing you know because he's pretty fucked up at this point <laughs> no we don't get to see that we go and see that gara is trying to murder lee in cold blood in his hospital room but luckily, Naruto and Shikamaru are there to try and stop him, and he ultimately, they are ultimately able to stall long enough until Guy ends up coming and stops him. And during this conversation, Gar kind of mumbles and states that he has an evil sand demon living inside of him, much like Naruto, basically comparing the two. And that's kind of when Naruto... I don't know if he figures it out, but he's like, wait, I'm not the only person that has something, like, dwelling inside of me. It's kind of like, oh, there's others like me, but is that the reason why Gar is so pissy all the time? Who knows? <laughs> oh, he's just got, he's just, I don't know. Gar has just got something, something <laughs> wrong with him, man. He does have a shitty dad, so maybe maybe that can convince someone to go on a killing spree and kill people in cold blood in their hospital bed. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Shortly after that, Gara kind of goes on, does his own little thing, 
because, I mean, he's really no match for Guy. So you got to set your differences aside and just be like, all right, I guess I'll leave him alone. And he kind of thinks about what Naruto said, like, I have a beast in me too. And they're like, eh, maybe we're not that different. But anyway, the month is over. It's time to get on to the final part of the tuning exam, which starts right off the bat with Neji versus Naruto. And this is a pretty cool battle because Naruto just gets his shit wrecked by Neji because Neji's superior in every way. He's using his eight trigrams and cutting off every single chakra point in Naruto's body. Neji's giving him a lecture about, you can't beat your fate. You're less than me. I'm always going to win. I'm going to come out on top. Fate always wins. And eventually Naruto, like his seal seeps a little bit. Some chakra starts flowing from the nine tails again. And Neji's like, I cut off every chakra point in your body. You shouldn't even have any chakra to show. But he does. And Naruto, through some shit-ass luck, somehow manages to beat the strongest Genning among the group. He defeats Neji, talks about how fate doesn't define you, you define you, and just cold cocks him. Uppercuts the bitch, knocks him out. And uh, is this some sort of foreshadow as well? Like, Naruto is supposed to be the weakest one in the group. He defeats the strongest one in the group. Does that mean he's better? Who knows? But after that, they kind of, Neji kind of throws aside, like, his differences. He's like, yeah, maybe Naruto's right. Like, maybe I shouldn't be such an asshole. Maybe he'll start coming around. <laughs> so, but after that, we get the Conqueror versus Shino. This is about to be a sweet fight. We got Conkro, who's a puppet master. We got Shino, who does some bug shit. Conkro's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm out. I'm, I don't want to do this. Which is another disservice to his character, because I really want to see Conkro fight. He's pretty sweet. But they don't do it. Whatever. Also, one reason I think Conkro doesn't fight is kind of the plot, which we find out, like, the very end of this arc, kind of the reason why Conqueror kind of stayed back to save his energy. But then afterwards, we get to my boy Shikamaru versus Tamari, which is probably one of the first moments everyone actually did kind of start shipping them together. Maybe a little afterwards, but they kind of had this like little banter between each other. And again, this is where Shikamaru kind of shows his intellect and his ability to use his shadow possession jutsu but even though he ultimately is able to catch tamari he ends up resigning and tamari is the ultimate victor which kind of surprises tamari altogether as well and then we finally get to the quote-unquote like main event of this which is gara versus sasuke and we see that not only has sasuke pretty much learned some new skills he gained a lot of speed during his little training yes. and his taijutsu probably rivals lead now at least when his like weights are still on because when he's fighting and he's fighting gara and his he's able to almost disappear instantly gara even mentions a fact like wait this reminds me of the same fight and this also shows that again Gara's ultimate defense can be broken because he goes and he tries to use his like ultimate defense, which is like this sandball thing. But then this is where Sasuke brings out his new 
technique and why Kakashi was training him, as you kind of mentioned earlier about them being like Sharingan brothers. I forgot. Sorry, yeah. I forgot almost what you said. Um, even Kakashi says they resemble each other, and you see Sasuke start using Chidori, which is one of Kakashi's original jutsu that we learned in Arc 1. And he uses it, pierces through Gara's shield, and is able to injure Gara actually. And almost immediately after this happens, it goes to Kabuto. Sorry, I almost call him Kabuto for some reason. <laughs> Kabuto, who uses a genjutsu to put the entire audience to sleep. And that is the end of the second arc, going kind of into the third arc. Yeah. Kind of leaves you with a little bit of a cliffhanger, like what's yeah, going on exactly. One thing I do want to mention that I actually I completely forgot about until we were talking about the Gara for Sasuke fight is when Sasuke Chidori's Gara through his ultimate defense and punctures her, him, he actually stops Gara's transformation because a few episodes before this, Gara's sensei guy who's with him talked about how they're planning to attack the Leaf Village during the tuning exams. And I believe when Gara was in his ball, they're like, oh no, he's going to go through the transformation. So we're kind of interested in what this transformation is. And we actually start to see this little demon forming around Gara, But Sasuke manages to stop that with his Chidori, which is what a relief because man, if that happened, whew, we wouldn't have a third arc. We'd be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, we would. <laughs> yes. So I thought we'd mention that real quick because we do actually have some time. We managed to skim through this and cover what was important, but not dwell upon some of the less important fights. Again, like I said. If we did seem a little rush, it's because there's a lot of information that kind of went through this. Mm-hmm. Mainly we in terms, a lot. yeah, mainly in terms of the fights. I do highly recommend this arc if you are more into like the fighting scenes. Like I would say, you could probably skip the Force of Death. Um, Unless you mm- want to see Gara murder people. And- actually, you shouldn't skip the Force of Death because of the curse mark. I was about to say. You would actually want to see the curse mark because there is that and the nine tails. But after that whole section, skip the written exam. Like yeah, you could kind of skip all the written exam. You can. I wish I had an episode list for you, Jiraiya, to let you know know. like when the curse mark is, so you can just kind of watch that. Because after that, there's really not too much going on, like plot wise. With the Force of Death, it kind of just shows a little bit of their abilities. But then they kind of use them in the fights anyways. So it's kind of nice to just see the fights. Yeah. To know, like, all the different abilities. Like, from their permit... Permit... Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> from the first fights to the finals. And as we kind of mentioned, you don't necessarily need the training arc either for like the summoning one i mean it's just him literally sitting around trying to summon a toad there's not much <laughs> that went on during that yeah like there are good scenes to be had here but some of them are drawn out pretty long and it's not really necessary so i'm actually surprised how quick we're able to get through this that's also anime for you whenever there's a fight yes, it'll, oh it's always going to be like 
five or six episodes long. So because there were so many fights, each fight I think at minimum was either two or three episodes. And Mm -hmm. so we had like 10 fights. So that's why it is like 47 episodes long. So if you want to go and watch it, like I said, you could probably skip almost everything, maybe in the force of death, find where he gets the curse mark. I'm sure there's probably videos of that entire like fight if you really yeah. just want to watch that video and then go into the actual like tuning fights. I would say out of the entire arc, I would start from there and then work your way. You don't really need to watch anything else. Yeah, and there are entire lists out there that tell you which ones are fillers and which ones aren't that you can easily ignore. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, if we want to, if you want to watch it all, go ahead. But I'd recommend looking up some lists because it's not 100% necessary. And we kind of skimmed, like we said, we kind of skimmed through the important bits and kind of let you know on what information you needed to know. The rest is kind of just showing you it's anime. It's showing you what we said in person. So that being said, for the question of the day, we're going to ask you, what was your favorite fight? If you've already seen this or if you want to, after you Go this and watch other fights. Come back and let us know. Yeah, I think my favorite fight probably has to be the Gara versus Lee one, just because of how hype it is. Gara's just getting his ass handed to him, which I love Gara as a character, and I love how psycho he is. But it was just satisfying watching Lee just do numbers around him. That was definitely probably going to be the most popular fight maybe also the guard versus sasuke but if i had to bring it to me honestly the neji versus naruto was a nice one for me not just because he's a main character it's actually one of the few ones that i did kind of like with naruto because when he all the times we've seen before this he loses control when the nine tail like takes over. But this is like one of the first times we see where he actually has a little bit of that control over the nine tail chakra and he's able to use that to kind of shut up Neji. Because for me, I also it kind of annoys me in anime when there's like some guy that thinks he's always better than everyone and like is always putting others down. So just seeing him finally lose to the person who's supposed to be like the worst, the misfit. It's mm-hmm. kind of satisfying. But another one I like is the Shikamaru versus Ken. Yes. Is it Ken or Rin? I forget. Oh, oh, Ken, that one. So Shikamaru versus Tamari is a nice one. Oh, I like that one. So I kind of like but both of them. But I do like them. the one that you're referencing. They, I like both. I like how Shikamaru was able to fight off both of these. I will talk a little bit about but Shikamaru vs. Ken, I liked because I kind of discussed it a little earlier about how she already knew about it. And so Ken's ability makes it so she uses her sound to like disorient people and like confuse them. And then she uses like these thread, like, I don't know what, if they're like a tool or something to like trap you and kill you. And Shikamaru is able to somehow use his shadow possession casting from the that very thread that you can't even see with your naked eye pretty much and uses that to possess her and then because when you do shadow possession jutsu you do whatever 
the other person does. So they do. He goes, "Let's play a game of chicken," and they both get the ninja stars out because he's doing. He's reaching into the pocket, grabbing both ninja stars, and throws it. And Shikamaru does like a back bend and dodges. And she's like, "Oh, I'm just going to do the same thing and go right into a wall and just knocks the fuck out," which I thought was nice. And it even is incorporated in. Oh, what ninja or Naruto game was it? There's a Naruto game. I forget what, what one it is. And when Shikamaru actually possesses someone, they actually bring up a wall and that happens. So I think that's pretty cool that it's kind of iconic that they put in a game. Mm-hmm. But also <laughs> with the Tamari fight, I think it also shows the extent of the shadow possession ability. Because at first, she stays out of the range because, once again, she knows his like his power. But then it shows that when the sun's going down, there's more shadows, so he's able to go further. But then not only that, when there's other shadows showing up, he can cast his shadow on that and extend his reach. So Tamari's all confused because she's kind of like calm and collected too, but this also puts her in a panic. But even then, Shikamaru was in control this entire fight. He was like 200 steps ahead. He even claims it, and he's able to capture her. But sadly, he ends up forfeiting because he's low on chakra. One thing I really like about Shikamaru is he has all this wit. He knows how to win, but he also knows when he's he's lost, and he'll admit it. Definitely, because like he he's win. not the strongest, like, physically. But he has that tactician brain and can end up winning fights or is able to win fights that normally you wouldn't think, like, this guy could win, but he's able to use his abilities skillfully and is able to, he would have won in my opinion, if he had more chakra or I forget exactly why. I think he didn't recover enough from last time or something, but yeah, I wish, I wish he could have won. (laughs) All right. So that about wraps it up. So I have some facts for us. So, during the introduction of the tuning exam, the Sound Ninja, or the Sound Village Ninja, Dozu attacked Kabuto, and the sound effect that he used is actually used as the sound of the Rasengan in future arcs. And that shows up later in the series, which is really interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, Sakura, Hinata, and Naruto are the only ninjas that completed the written portion of the tuning exam without cheating. And Naruto couldn't have cheated because he didn't write a single thing. Um, I may have said this in the last arc episode, not 100% sure, but I'll say it again. Naruto's Japanese and English voice actors are both women. Not really something that probably is well known. I had no idea. Or it always surprised me when I, I read that because it is just shocking. Because they, they are great voice actors I would have never known. And finally, the word Sanin, referring to the legendary Sanin, in Japanese literally means three people. So when translated, it's the legendary three people. <laughs> I just think that's interesting. It sounds so much cooler as Sanin, but... Oh my god, look, people. it's the legendary three people. Really? What's the group composed of? Three people! <laughs> it's just weird, but I like it. So I thought that was a fun fact. That's actually is kind of fun, because it's funny. 
It's like being redundant, but... Yeah. I think that about sums up this episode. So if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or recommendations, let us know by emailing us at Weebspawn. And feel free to follow us at uh, on Instagram or Twitter at Weebspawn. And I've been your host, Bobby. And I'm Joshua. And we will see you next time when we Weebspawn.